hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hampson for Blood Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Mr. Jason Thompson, hello. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, oh. It's as if we haven't been doing this continuously since episode one. But we from have our been listener's point of view. We've just come back from a, a day away. <laughs> we have been doing this one episode a day. Thank you very much. This is now oh, yes. day Sorry, four. Have I, have I ruined the illusion now? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I just thought, okay, but let's talk about that for a second because if you dropped six episodes in one go, that's a lot to listen to. Whereas twenty-five minutes a day, that's a bite-sized chunk is quite nice. It is, um, and that's you know, it kind of segues nicely into my view about watching classic Doctor Who, and I think that uh, it, you have to remember that it was never intended to be watched all in one sitting. So I used to look at some of these stories and think, dear God, they're dull and they're right. long and they're really a slog to get through and everything. And then I did a Doctor Who marathon. Once I'd completed my collection on VHS and I had all the recons, all the soundtracks and everything, I had every episode in one form or another. I thought, I'm going to go through the whole lot in order. But I'm not going to watch one story at a time. I'm going to watch two episodes a night. Okay. And that completely changed my view of about a dozen stories, <clears throat> the longer ones in particular. Uh, the first one was the Dalek Invasion of Earth. When I first saw the Dalek Invasion of Earth, I tried to sit through the whole thing oh, and Christ. I was really bored. Uh, this is not good. This does not work. It's a long, drawn-out slog of a story. But watching it 25 minutes at a time with a gap between and a couple of, you know, two episodes a night, I thought, actually, this is really bloody good. Yeah. And it's kind of remembering that this is how it was supposed to be. It was never written as a movie. It wasn't written as a movie split up into chunks. It was written as a serial in several episodes with the intention that you would watch one episode at a time. I and can a imagine lot of stories really benefit from being watched in that yeah, way. I can imagine there's an I like the Web Planet, Monster of Peladon. Um, yeah, I try and sit through all of those in one sitting. Yeah, I, I would. I, I don't think I've ever been that brave. But yeah, like, like, a, like a single fair. episode of Monster of Peladon is probably packed full of, you know, action and incident and fun characters. But you know, as a whole, it, it's probably like the same episode, very repetitive as a whole. But uh, Matt Michael, I don't know if you follow Matt Michael's uh, blog. Next episode, and he's he's reviewing the series one episode at a time so he's watching one episode a day and reviewing that one episode and he said the same thing as you it's revolutionized how he thinks about the bulk of classic who yeah it is it is brilliant um to watch it that way and have that realization and to follow one story directly after another as well especially in the early episodes where they followed straight on um, I think conversely, there are stories that absolutely um, are better for being watched all in one go. Like this has a momentum to it. Uh, something like Kaiser Androzani does too. Uh, whereas if you if you watch it as a whole, it's a very satisfying experience. Definitely. I mean, this is one of the six episode stories that I can watch uh, all the way through. Um, I mean, really bizarrely, if you think about it in some respects actually I find the Dalek master plan very similar I can watch the Dalek master or listen to the Dalek master plan I was going to say are you telling me something here you've got all 12 episodes 
I can watch the recons or I can listen to the soundtracks and watch these episodes, but I can sit through that entire story in one sitting. Really? Because of the way it, yeah, because of the way it's structured and the way it shifts locations and right. yeah. goes off in different tangents, it never drags for me. I mean, I know other, other opinions are available, <laughs> um, <laughs> but for me, I can watch the whole 12 episodes in one sitting because the story just keeps going and going off in different directions and is really engaging for me. So I guess, Contrast, the Dalek invasion of Earth is half as long, and yet it feels twice as long if you try and watch it all in one go. So I guess I guess the moral of this is, isn't it, is like think about the stories that drag for you in the past and try it one episode at a time and see. Yeah. Definitely. I think I did that with the mutants once. I think I did one one episode a day with the mutants and really enjoyed it. Whereas yeah, I love the mutants. When I first watched it through, I was like, "Oh my god, will this ever end?" <laughs> However, I have never said that about Power of the Daleks. We are skipping into episode four. Uh, things are heating up. The Daleks want their power. I'm ready to go. If you are, I am very much ready to go. In five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. So I want to ask you about Christopher Barry, the director of this story, and whether you think he is one of the better Doctor Who story, uh, directors and what you think are his best directed Doctor Who stories. I certainly think he's one of the better directors. Um, I think if you see directed by Christopher Barry, you know you're going to get a really solidly directed story with some uh, some interesting camera angles in, ca in some cases and some good tight uh, shots and good editing and some, some great stuff. In terms of what his best stories are, um, at the moment I can't think for the life of me which ones he directed apart from this one. So what? I couldn't okay. really tell I'm going to hit you with some stories. You ready? Go for it. The Daleks. Yes. The Romans. Oh, the Romans, definitely. Yeah, that's that's really nicely directed, I think. And the Rescue, I think. I think he did the Rescue as well. Yeah, I think the Romans and the Rescue were all done in the same block, weren't they? They were done as one. Um, the Savages. Difficult to say because you can't see it anymore. From the telly snaps, it looks like it might have been a good. A yeah, I mean, one. there's certainly some good location work in there, isn't there? There's definitely some good location work in the Savages. Yeah. And it's a it's a great score <laughs> as well in the Savages. It's a really different musical score. Yeah. Um, then you got Power of the Daleks, and then I think that's where he departed for a while. He came back with the Demons. Nicely directed, nicely directed that one. Yes. The Mutants. Yeah, I really like the Mutants. Actually, the Mutants is one of those received fan wisdom things. Uh, I'm. Because I came to Doctor Who fandom in the 90s after the series was finished, I was very much a victim of received fan wisdom. Oh! And I knew the mutants as that awful, terrible, rubbish, Pertwee story that makes no sense. And I remember distinctly a line from the discontinuity guide about the mutants, which says, Jeffrey Palmer is the best thing about it, and he's dead before the end of episode one. Oh, rubbish. And then when it eventually, so I put off seeing it for ages until it was actually released on VHS in sort of about 2001, I think, two, no, 2003, because it had the 40th anniversary. It's one of the last video releases. And there was a lot of, 
opinion that they were just releasing the duds now, you know, the mutants, invasion of the dinosaurs, horns of Nymon. They're just releasing the crap at the end because they've run out of the good stuff. And I watched it and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I, sorry, I mean, I'm I'm in shock that you, that you would dare to include the horns of Nywon and the word crap in the same sentence. I received fan wisdom. Oh yeah, sorry. Horns of Nywon was rubbish. Again, so, I love horns of Nywon. There's three more stories. So there's Robot. He directed. Oh, Robot is yeah. Robot's really nicely directed. Uh, Brain and Morbius. Yeah. Yeah, um, he does very well with that, considering that the cliffhanger is the same in every episode, basically. <laughs> Super atmospheric, though. And then finally, maybe somewhat less successfully, I don't know, I love it, but, oh, so I, I'm no good judge. Creature from the Pit. I think Creature from the Pit was nicely directed, but you have to look past the ridiculously phallic monster <laughs> <laughs> the really rather offensive, stereotypical... Um, bandit group there so but yeah the direct direction was was not bad i think scariest uh, thing he, he also directed i know the only other thing i remember he directed off the top of my head is he directed a few episodes of the tripods he did yeah I, I think he directed the the first episode of that so he was responsible for like all the initial effect shots you know like mm. the tripod coming down into the water in the first one yeah yeah that was a bizarre series, Jason. That was a I love that series, but I remember watching that when it was first shown. So it's That's a very, much, very nostalgic series for me. But, bizarre uh, sequences it. of them making wine. and Oh, yeah, they bulked out the information from the books because they tried to condense a, or to expand a sort of 250-page book about the length of a target novelization and make a 13-episode series out oh. of it. So, you know, there was bound to be a lot of stuff in there that wasn't in the books, but... I loved it, it when it went. You know, when, you know when it went hyper camp in the second series. Oh god! Oh god! In in the yeah, tribal the, city. Yeah, that that was a that was a misstep. <laughs> Very much a misstep. I've been to a few <laughs> clubs a bit like the one in the second season. You know, in the tripod city. But here's a fun thing about the tripods, though. In the second series, there's a couple of scenes set in a pyramid with a garden inside it. Right, where Will is talking to a female slave uh, who brings him a daisy, and that slave is played by uh, Elizabeth McKechnie, okay, who has not had any Doctor Who credits but ran an acting class that I was part of in 2000 2001 uh, because I was signed up with an extras agency. Um, oh, wow. So I've been in a couple of films and TV shows in a, a extra in a background. You'd never see me. Um, I demand you name them instantly. <laughs> Is it anything well, I would have seen? I was in I was in the film called Sylvia, okay, which had Gwyneth Paltrow and Daniel Craig in it. It was wow. about Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes, and I was an extra in a party scene where they met. And I think I'm on screen for about 0 0.3 seconds during a panning shot. Okay. Um, I was in an episode of Murphy's Law with uh, James Nesbitt playing a homeless person in a, in a, in a, in a group. And a children's series called Kaching. Um, I was in one of those episodes as well, but I don't know if my scene made it to the final cut. So how is this? I didn't like see any of this stuff. How is this the third time we've done one of these? And this is the first time you've dropped this bit of information. 
Ah, well, it even has a Doctor Who connection because the agency and the acting class were run by one Christopher Villers. Who's that? Uh, he was in The King's Demons. Oh. And he was in Mummy on the Orient Express. Oh, God. He was the professor who'd gone looking for the foretold and was, was killed by it. So, so okay, uh, a, what, a big question here about, you know, your current career and your previous career. Why did you stop? Because I didn't have time. Uh, it was something I did on, on the side, as it were, because my job, I had a very flexible job. Um, they took flexi time to extremes in that you could work any hours. It was an academic role rather than a, uh, an office-based one. And as long as you did your 37 and a half hours a week, they didn't care if you did it nine to five in the morning or nine to five in the evening. You know, they could be, <laughs> as long as you did your time, right. they didn't care. Okay. And when it came to time off, you could just say, I need to take some time off tomorrow. They go, okay, fine. Very, very flexible indeed, <clears throat> uh, which left me with a lot of free time. And at this point, I was living completely on my own. I was single. I had nothing to do in the evenings and the weekends. And so I thought, I want to do some of this. And I looked and I saw an advert for this agency that did extras. I'll get into that because that sounds like quite fun. And it was. It was great fun, mostly. There were a couple of really bad jobs. Um, okay. Really bad jobs. But for a couple of years, I did that. And I did an acting class that was run by Chris and Liz. And it was great fun. Really nice people. Oh, you know what? Like, I was hoping you were eventually going to say, and I did a walk-on part in a Doctor Who. I mean, that, uh, regrettably, that... that never happened because, of course, Doctor Who was not in production at that time oh, when okay. I was when I was doing that. So. I feel as if I've gotten to know you a lot better there. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's quite all right. It was it was a, it was a good fun. It was good fun doing that. And it was I didn't realise when I started. I didn't realise that. Liz McKechnie had been in the tripod because I hadn't seen series two at that point and I managed to get hold of a copy of series two because it never got released on video until much later and I got hold of a copy and I was watching it and thinking I know that woman <laughs> I know her <laughs> well here's the clincher was she any good oh yeah it's fine but it was one of her first acting roles apparently and of course I had then to go and tell her that I'd seen it so I don't know how to tell you this without making you feel your age but I remember watching you in a show when I was five, and she went, "Oh, bloody hell!" But then she told me some great stories about the experience of making it. So it was really, it was really good. Well, okay. So I said to you earlier about um, the, the power of the likes not being particularly visually ambitious. Uh, they were absolutely doing uh, a Doctor Who story that they could achieve on their budget. If you want to talk about an overly ambitious production, the tripods just outstripped Doctor Who ten to one. <laughs> oh, very much so. Um, but again, it kind of like Doctor Who in some ways, in uh, like um, like Cy Hart was saying about Invasion of the Dinosaurs, at least they tried. Oh, they sure did, yeah. You know, they gave it a go. They really made the effort. And some of it, it doesn't quite hit the mark, but some of it looks absolutely stunning. Well, you remember those, um, those tripod monsters, the actual the monster costumes, yeah? Yeah, that is one of my earliest memories. Being freaking terrified of those things. Yeah, as, I remember as a seeing those and being quite scared of them. Yeah, um, and that's another Doctor Who connection. John Woodbine doing the the main master. Oh, is it? Okay. That's the voice. Yeah, so the Marshal from the Armageddon Factor is is doing the voice of the monster. Um, what? Well, okay, so, so okay, look, we've completely skipped away from Power of the Daleks here. What is currently oh, occurring on screen? Yes. <laughs> so the Tripods podcast coming to you very soon. 
<laughs> Good. That's an excellent idea. Maybe I'll maybe I'll organise one. <laughs> Man, that would be so much fun to talk about. <laughs> um, have you noticed in this that it's, it's got some? Okay, two things. Bizarre future technology. The phone actually says, you know, someone's ringing or something like that. And bizarre future fashions, i.e., they're all wearing pajamas. Yes. They're all in a uniform, which is slightly odd. Um, well, I don't know. I think they do look like pajamas. Of course, we missed Lesterson beginning his his descent into total madness when he realizes that the Daleks are not just his servants after all. Do you reckon, um, like, the the idea of this story was built around set pieces like the one at the end of this episode, the the conveyor sequence of the Daleks being assembled? Because, like, when two of the Cybermen, I figure they thought, oh, my God, we just had this great sequence of, like, Cybermen bursting out of a tomb, you know, in some dreadful Hammer Horror pastiche. And here as well, yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's like, is that, is that the highlight of this story, that sequence? That's where everything is building to, isn't it? That's when, that's when the story really takes off to, this is the magnitude of the problem that you're facing. It's not just three Daleks, it's a whole assembly line, and now you're totally, utterly screwed. Well, then I want you to answer me a question, because, uh, with a scientific mind, you may be able to rationalise this for me. <laughs> when we go into the um, shuttle, what's it called? Shuttle? Whatever it's called. The, the, thank you, the capsule. Well, it suddenly seems to be very, very big. Like, it looks tiny from the outside. Is it buried? Like, what's going on there? Well, don't forget, by this time, we have seen the Daleks have dimensionally transcendental time machines in the future. So is it They've supposed to be that... making something bigger on the inside. So I think this capsule is very much like the TARDIS and their time machines, it's bigger on the inside. Because there is a spatial discontinuity there, isn't there? Like Very much so, yeah. And it can't, it's, it can't be buried because they, no. uh, in episode one, Lesterson makes a reference to it being found in a mercury swamp and hauled into the laboratory. So they haven't built the lab around it, they've dragged it in. And they say so it is wrong inside. No, we we're talking about liberties earlier. They take the biggest liberty as well of all when they do that pan backwards, and um, there's literally Daleks filling the screen in an enormous, like, cavern of space. So, absolutely, it must be like dimensionally transcendental. That's the only explanation. What do you mean they're taking liberties? They showed that quite nicely in the actual episode with all those flat photographic <laughs> blur-up background. <laughs> oh, I've, I, you know what? I, I just can't take the piss out of them for trying, though, you know. No, it, it's about you know, what we were saying about if we got this episode back, we'd see some of the visual shortcomings. There is one in that sequence because there's the the sequence of the daleks entering with that we are to wait here until the humans fight amongst themselves and there's all these photographic daleks yeah. and as the daleks go past them they start wobbling back and forth <laughs> in the they're very excited and that's unfortunate it is. <laughs> but um as i said several times there's there's not really much here that 
is um, ambitious in terms of effects works and a thing like that. So I think if this came back, there would be very relatively little to be embarrassed by. Oh yeah, I think so. It's mostly just good I, acting, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's all. It's carry. It's not about the Daleks. It's carried by the actors and the humans in here. And I mean, this sequence is really tense. Interesting. The Daleks are so because they are still at a disadvantage. Now it pretends that its gun doesn't work. When we later find out that actually it could have killed her. Did it you, just decided not to. Did you hear the voice work there? He was like, we are your servants. Like really low. Yes. There is some excellent voice work for the Daleks in this. Peter Hawkins, is it? Yeah, it is. Oh, here we go. And now Ben's been captured and he's going to sod off on holiday for a bit. <laughs> I always feel like every other word out of Ben's mouth is, where's Polly? Where's Polly? <laughs> I, I kind of feel like they should have got together at the end, like actually been a couple. Yes. Well, I mean, they did. the doctor did say at the end, you know, well, Ben can go off and be a sailor and you can look after Ben because, you know, being a 1960s female character, she can't go off and have her own life. She has to go and look after the man that she's been you with. Know? What did but, Rusty uh, Davis say? They ended up running an orphanage in the Sarah Jane Adventures. I think that's what, what Rusty Davis suggested. Uh, yeah, you could well be right. You I, could well I be think right. it's an orphanage out in Africa or something like that. Yeah. And here's the Dalek. Just, it wants to kill but it's still to make pretense that I'm a servant. The, um, uh, yeah, the contracting uh, iris is a really lovely effect as well. It is. And again, that's another thing that gets lost when the series moves to colour in the 70s and the 80s, when they've just basically got painted eye sticks. Oh, do you know what's the worst <clears> one? <throat> Those Resurrection of the Daleks ones where it's just like a white ring. They just look terrible. <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, POV shot. I'm saying shot, yeah. it's actually animation, but I'm assuming the shot was there. Oh, very probably, yeah. I mean, we know from the telly snaps there were quite a few Dalek POV shots. So. Oh, so is this where we have... sequence in the cells yeah. on the tape absolutely mystified me. I was convinced that there was some weird sound bleeding in and some problems with the tape because the narration didn't say what was going on. <clears throat> and I still think they got it a bit wrong on the animation as well, because I'm pretty sure that the guard must have had some kind of sonic device that he pressed to make, but rather than just sensually caressing the lock on the door, I'm sure he must have had a button to press somewhere. <laughs> But, is this um, the sequence where he's he's using the water to try and open the door? Yes, but in the first instance, he tries using a dog whistle. Ah. Which is where there's all these little high-pitched sounds. But the narration in the tape didn't say anything at this point. So all I heard was the doctor said something, and there's a weird high-pitched squeal, which just sounded like a tape fault. And then there's a dog barking in the distance. And I was convinced for years that that dog was someone else's dog in the house where this soundtrack was being recorded rather than actually being on the, the sound itself because, of course, he's blowing a dog whistle. Oh. But again, that's also 
part of the world building here. This colony has dogs. You know, they've got people, they've got dogs, they've got all sorts of things. So I think this is very doctorish. Everything he's doing in this cell, it's very doctorish. But he's still yeah. not commanding the screen, is he? It's almost like you've got no. three Doctor Who companions in this story. Like, yeah, um, William Hartnell's Doctor would have been in control. Mm. Well, think about him in in the gunfighters when he's in the cell, clutching his lapels and like, you know, people keep giving me guns and I do wish they I wouldn't. I do wish they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh my word! Every time, look, look at the Dalek coming out of the uh, capsule in the dark. Mm. <clears throat> I'm too excited for this clip here. I just love... Oh, animated, it's fabulous. It is. And the look on Lesterson's face. And in the tape, they cut this cliffhanger down really dramatically. Really? Because in the tape, why didn't I realise the examiner was right? They are evil. And then I love the fact that and everybody... The sound effect, and then that's the end. On the tape, that's the end of episode four. They cut down the whole... No. Um, they cut the whole conveyor belt, the whole assembly line business, and Lesterson discovering it. This line about there are four, they can't be reproducing, wasn't in the tape at all. Who the bloody hell was responsible for that? I don't know, but they had the whole thing in episode five. It was all there. So all the, they, the, the narration does cover Lesterson going in and discovering it. But the cliffhanger of the Daleks is not there on the tape at all. Don't you love the fact as well that, okay, so Lesterson now, or he's about to discover what the Daleks are up to. Um, and then he goes out and he's like, you know, you've got to listen to me, just like the Doctor was. And they're all convinced that he's completely bonkers. Or they're willing to put a spin on it that he's crazy because they still need the Daleks. Yeah, I don't think they even believe that he is bonkers. I think they just don't care at that point. I want to ask you a big moral point here, a moral question. Do you think they deserve oh, the fate that they get? I don't know. Um, I don't think anyone really deserves extermination. But It is a form of poetic justice, though, isn't it? It is definitely poetic justice. That all of their actions lead up to the Daleks being able to do as much damage as they do. Um, did you know it's on the Dalek screens there? There was the Doctor Who uh, the Doctor Who title sequence playing. Yes, I did. They're watching Doctor Who. Indeed. But they're always doing that. They always use all the Dalek screens quite often had uh, some of the test footage from the title sequence being used on them right from the very beginning. I think they play Doctor Who as well, because in Death to the Daleks, they've got a little toy TARDIS that they use. Oh, yeah. To blow up. <laughs> I mean, look at this. Come on. The Dalek mutant being taken out of the bubbling vat of goo. Yeah. This is iconic, right? Oh, it, I, yeah. I would, again, want to see this, see what it actually looked like. Did they actually do that in the real one? Electrify it into life? Like, I don't know. I think that's probably an animation liberty that they've taken with it. It's um, great, though, isn't it? Well, it is great. Not the subtitles in it. Chittering continues. Just, you, know, <laughs> you know, and again, this is another bit where they've taken some liberties. This sequence here with the Dalek being lowered in, I mean, that's based on the studio sets. You can see the telly snaps and the publicity photographs. You can see that's what it looks like. And also the, the Dalek on the conveyor belt, they're, they're like the, the little toy ones, aren't they? Coming. 
Yes, they are. But then this business with the, the thing they've animated coming down with all the arms and things oh. on it in this huge cavernous factory setting, I doubt that very much. I know, <laughs> that but it's part of the original. gorgeous. But it's gorgeous. Yeah. Like, they have gone to town animating this, holy. Like, this is a labour They have. They have. They've done a brilliant job. <laughs> Lesterson, Jesus Christ, I'm responsible for this. <laughs> oh, Dalek and... 10 complete, Dalek 11 complete. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, I my think God. Um, the, the person doing the sound here and the overlapping voices, the way it builds, mm. is very skillfully done. Yeah. There we go. Here we have another cliffhanger with the Daleks where the stakes are even higher than the last one. Now there's a whole army of them. Look, I'm almost willing to bet there wasn't a set this big. Look at that. No, I took a guess that somehow they didn't have this many Daleks in that <laughs> set. <laughs> Jason, what are you talking about? There's only about 60 there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But of course, the, the classic, the, the one remaining clip of the episode where they, where they all come filing out going Daleks conquer and destroy is an absolute masterclass of how to make four Daleks look like an army because they go one, two, three, four, then a gap while they go round. Yeah. One, two, three, four, then a gap while they go round. One, two, three. <laughs> Stop it, you're spoiling it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliantly done. Um, I mean, they've been doing that ever since they first started, but you know. <laughs> well, it's really interesting and we can't really tell on here but they, they say in the, Toby Haydock said in the documentary, that episode six was all shot on film. So I bet that looked extraordinary. Yeah, there were a few 60s episodes that were done on film rather than video, weren't there? So maybe we'll talk about that in part five. We certainly will. <laughs> 